Oh, thank you. Amen. Sweet, sweet presence of the Lord tonight. Just good to be, I'm kind of like, you know, I've said this before, but I'm kind of like Peter, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, when the glory cloud came down and Jesus was transfigured and the voice came out of heaven, and he saw, they saw and heard all that, and Peter said, it's good, it's good to be here. Well, that's kind of the way I feel tonight. It's just good to be here in the presence of the Lord, enjoying the blessings of God. Amen. Open your Bibles tonight. Um, well, we'll go to Psalm, the book of Psalms. Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It's one of the longer Psalms. I'm not going to read it all. 72 verses. But it'd be good if you would read this 78th Psalm sometime this week. I read from the Psalms every day. Uh, no matter where else I'm reading in the Scripture, I'm reading in the Psalms as well because it's a worship book, it's a prayer book, it's, a, it's the song book of Israel. And I always find um, um, strength and encouragement from the book of Psalms. It's a blessing. And many times we'll pray these psalms because they are prayers. Many of them are prayers, and we can pray them. They're spirit-inspired prayers. Um, there's, um, you know, when you're praying God's Word, you're definitely praying the, the perfect will of God. <laughs> when you pray His Word back to Him, anybody ever do that? I do that. Pray His Word back to Him. Um, you know, He said, My Word will not return into me void. And uh, it will accomplish the thing he said that I sent it to do. And so uh, many times in those psalms, I will pray them back to the Lord and just make them personal myself and just pray them back to God. Blessing. It's a blessing. But I read from the psalms and the proverbs every day because I know one thing. I need to be reading the proverbs because I know I need wisdom. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but I do. But in Psalm 78, read this psalm when you get home or tomorrow sometime, but it's a good psalm. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses, um, verses 40 and 41. And I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about uh, uh, limiting God's limitless power. Now, we know God is all-powerful. He's almighty. We know that, don't we? Just a couple of weeks ago, I preached about five things that God cannot do. Uh, but we mentioned in, those, in that message about the, the fact that God, the Bible says that God, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. He can do, he can do everything. And so, but, but, uh, and so we know that. We understand that there is nothing too hard for God. And uh, we, we know that's true. I believe that, and I know you believe that as well. But um, if, there is, if, that is the, if that's true in which it is, that there's nothing too hard for God, and God can do anything, and if God can keep every promise, and hear every prayer, and solve every problem, and save every person, then why doesn't it always happen? <laughs> 
And uh, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but we want to touch on a few of them that I believe tonight that actually will limit the power of God from operating in our life. God can be limited as to what He wants to do. Even though He wants to do something for us, we, can all, we by certain things, we can limit God's unlimited power in our lives. So I'm going to read a verse, two verses, in this 78th Psalm. And in this Psalm, God gives the psalmist writing here, gives the whole history pretty much of Israel. But he's talking here about, about how that they were in the wilderness and how that they, you know, their, their heart wasn't right and they were, uh, you know, they were rebellious and they, they sinned against the Lord and they were disobedient and they were full of unbelief. And uh, of course, now this is God's people we're talking about in the wilderness. But God made this, uh, the, the Holy Spirit through the psalmist made this statement, these statements in verse 40 and 41 and said, How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God, and notice this, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They turned back and they tempted God, and they, speaking of God's people there, they limited the Holy One of Israel. So we can see from this verse of Scripture that it is possible for individuals, for us human beings, God's people, to limit what God can do in our life. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that we can limit God's power. You know, He's God. He's awesome. He's, He's almighty. He's sovereign. But as far as what God wants to do for us and can do for us, we can limit the, the working of God in our lives. And I know some people would say, well, I don't know if I really believe that or not because God's power is limitless, and it is. And God is sovereign, and He is a sovereign God. He can do anything He wants to do. If He doesn't move for, for me and my situation, uh, you know, we, we, a lot of times people will say that. Well, God's sovereign, and if He doesn't, if he doesn't move in my life, in my situation, that's just because He chooses not to. And maybe sometimes that could be the case, but not always. That's not always the case because a lot of times there are things that we can do that will limit what God can do for us. I don't know about you all, but I I don't want there to be any, I don't want to put any limitations on the Lord for what He can do in my life or what He wants to do in my life. I want Him to work. I want Him to have free course to do in me and for me what He wants to do in my life and what I need Him to do in my life. And so in that verse, in, in that 41st verse, it's said that they, they limited, the people of Israel limited God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And uh, it's true that there's nothing too hard to the Lord. He can do anything and everything, but... We can limit His power. Now, now, what does that word mean? Now, you know, we get out here on the highway. You get out here and get ready to leave. There's a speed limit sign out here that says speed limit 45. So that means you're not to, you know, you're not, to, you're not supposed to go over that. And I know nobody here does because everybody's good Christians. <laughs> Amen. But the word limit means to confine with certain bounds. The word limit means to restrain, 
to restrain. And I think that's a good synonym for the word limit, to confine or to restrain. And too often, I think that we restrain the Lord from doing what He wants to do in our lives. Now, I want you to turn over to the book of Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, the 27th chapter, I'm going to read, I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture here from Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put Him to death. This is when they came to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest the Lord. And it says, And when they had bound Him, they led Him away and delivered Him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And notice those, those four words in that second verse, that when they had bound Him. Can you imagine this? Here they, uh, the, the soldiers, those soldiers, those, um, those, those servants of the high priest had come and they bound the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. They put chains or some kind of a fetter on him, whether it was ropes, chains, shackles, whatever it was, but they, they tied the hands of the Lord of glory. They handcuffed literally the Lord of glory, bound his hands. Now, just think about that for a moment because these, the hands that they had tied up were healing hands. These were hands of blessing. These were hands that had cooled fevered brows and straightened crooked limbs and had unstopped deaf ears and opened the eyes of the blind. The hands that they tied together and shackled and bound were omnipotent hands and there was nothing too hard for those two hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here the, the servants of the high priest tied them together and, and bound those powerful hands. Are you getting the analogy here? And see, in the, in the spiritual realm, I think that, that it's a sad thing that we, even we as full gospel Pentecostal believers do the very same thing today. We limit, we limit the Lord and we tie His hands, those healing hands and hands of deliverance and hands of, that will bring victory and answered prayer and do that, those hands that can do wonderful, mighty, glorious things in our life. So many times I feel that we tie those hands of the Lord and prevent Him or hinder Him from doing what He wants to do in our life because man has God limited limiting power. Now you stop and think about that. And that's what that verse is saying there in Psalm 41. I'm sorry, Psalm 78 verse 41 that that you and I have have that ability by certain things that we can or, or do or do not do in our life to limit what God wants to do for us. And uh, you know, it's just like people being saved. I mean, I think, we will I think we will all agree tonight that the Lord's will is for every lost person to be saved, isn't He? He wants everybody to be saved, yet everybody's not saved. And it's not because God doesn't want them to be saved, but their own will plays a part in whether they accept the Lord or not. The Lord will never force somebody's will. But many times, you know, they, you know God, even though He wants them saved, they tie the hands of God because of their, um, their unwillingness to yield to Him. But I want to give you four things tonight. You might want to write these down. 
But I want to give you four things tonight that we want to look at and uh, four things that will limit what God can do in your life. And, and I think that when we see these four things, we want to, we want to get them out of our life. If we, see that, if we see ourselves in this, because listen, here's what I want to do. I want to take all the limits off of God and what He can do for Rick Hensley. Amen. And I think every one of you want to feel that same way. You want to take those limits off of the Lord and let Him work in your life. But... Um, uh, as I said, God will not force Himself on you. So the very first thing, the very first thing, number one, that uh, the thing, one of the fetters that will limit the Lord's activity in our life and what He can do for us is an unwilling spirit. An unwilling spirit. And uh, as I said, God won't force Himself on you. And I want you to uh, turn with me and look with me at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. Look what Jesus said here in Matthew 23 and 37. And you'll be familiar with this passage of Scripture because this is the, the passage where Jesus weeps and laments over the city of Jerusalem. Notice what He says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent to thee. Now notice this. How often would I have gathered thy children together? Now he lets us know right there. He wanted to gather them together. He came to his own, the Bible said, and his own received him not. And he said, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and what's, what's the last part of that verse? And you would not. Oh, hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Do you see that? They were, there was an unwillingness on their part. It wasn't because Jesus didn't want to save them or heal them and help them, you know, but uh, there was an unwillingness on their part. He said, you would not. I wanted to bless you. He, he was saying to them, I've got so much for you. I even reached out to you, but you said no. And do you know how often that happens in people's lives where the Lord is reaching out to them and trying to move in their life and has something for them, but because of uh, stubbornness or a rebellion in their life? Do you know that rebellion and disobedience and unwillingness to yield to the Lord will limit the power of God from operating in an individual's life, mine or yours or anybody else, because God just won't, He won't force Himself on you to do something that you're not willing to let Him do in your life. Hallelujah. Jesus was saying here, you have basically bound my hands, the hands that wanted to bring peace and comfort and hope and salvation. You've literally tied my hands. I wanted to bless you, He said, but you would not. You know, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said uh, to, to the people at, at his time, in his time, he said this to them. He said, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Well, there was two conditions there. They had to be willing and then they had to be obedient. And then they would eat the good of the land. So, you know, we can't expect 
to just go our own way and do our own thing and be stubborn and rebellious and disobedient to God and, and just uh, push aside the Word of God and have the blessing of God in our life. It just doesn't work that way. And I may be speaking to some here in this service tonight, you know, that God's wanting to do something. God's wanting to give you peace and comfort and give you a hope in your life and give you salvation and victory. But see, you've got to be willing. I've got to be willing to let God move in my life and do what he wants to, to do. It's not that he cannot do it. There's nothing too hard for him. But our unwillingness can chain the hands of Jesus and prevent him from working in our our life. We've got to accept what he wants to do for us. I think there's a good example of this in the Old Testament in, uh, in the life of, of, a, of a leper by the name of Naaman. Remember Naaman? He was a Syrian. He was a leper. He was a mighty man of valor. And uh, he had won many battles for, his, uh, for the king of Syria, but Naaman was a leper. And uh, there was a little Jewish maiden that had been taken captive in one of the Syrian raids that was waiting on Naaman's wife. And one day that little uh, Israelite Jewish girl said to Naaman's wife, you know, if your husband could only get to Israel. There's a prophet down there in Israel by the name of Elisha that could cure him, that would heal. He could be healed of that leprosy if he could get to the prophet of God. And so you know the story. Naaman got everything together and got a bunch of silver together and, and a bunch of clothing and a lot of stuff together and made his way down to, uh, down to Israel. Went to the king of Israel and said, I've come here to be healed of my leprosy. And he said, well, I can't heal you. And he said, but uh, if you'll go down to where uh, the prophet Elisha is, he can probably help you out. Naaman goes down there in all of his pomp and circumstance and he stands before um, he stands before the house of Elisha, sends his servant up there, knocks on his door and said, Naaman the Syrian's here to be healed. And basically Elisha said, tell him to go jump in the lake. <laughs> well, that wasn't really what he said. He said, you know, he said, uh, well, tell him to go down to the Jordan River and jump in the Jordan River and dip seven times, dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, and if he'll do that, what's he trying to get him to do? Number one, he's trying to, he's trying to get the pride out of his life. And he's, you know, that sometimes the Lord has to deal with us that way to get us, to get us out of pride. But he's getting him to be obedient to, uh, to this, to, to, to go down the Jordan. And you can tell that Naaman had pride in his heart and in his life because when Elisha told him to go down there and dunk, uh, dunk himself, <laughs> dunk himself in the Jordan River seven times, why well, he threw a fit. He said, why, there's cleaner rivers than the Jordan in Damascus. There's a couple of rivers that's got clean stream. You don't be like the difference in dunking, in dunking yourself in the Black River and the Mississippi River, amen? I, why would I want to go swimming in the old nasty Mississippi when I got the got current river or Black River, you know? And that's basically what Naaman was saying. I, I don't want to do that. Why, why, why I, I'm not going to do that. And then he turned around and he went away uh, in a rage. I was preaching one time on this. I don't remember where I was at some church. And I said, I said, I said, when, when, when Naaman got that word, I said, the Bible said he turned around and he went away like a Pentecostal church member. 
And uh, everybody looked at me and I'm like, what do you mean by that? I said, well, he went away in a rage. He took off mad. He left mad. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. But he did. He left mad and he said, I'm not doing that. But can you see the analogy here? Because, you know, had he not, was he going to get healed? if he was unwilling to do what the prophet told him. And Elisha wasn't just telling, Elisha was speaking this to him by the word of the Lord, telling him by the word of the Lord, you know, go down there, dip, and your, your skin will come clean, you'll be healed. And so Eli, uh, Naaman's servant said to him, said, well, you know, if that prophet asked you to do some great thing, you'd have done that, but why don't you just go do what he said? And so he humbled himself. He became willing and he became obedient to go down there and dip himself in the Jordan River. And when he did, he went down once, twice, three times. He went down seven times and the seventh time, the sixth time, nothing happened. But the seventh time when he came up, his skin was clean. There wasn't a spot or a trace of leprosy on his body and his skin was as new and as fresh as a baby's skin. See, he had to obey. He was limiting God by his unwillingness and by his disobedience. And so many times I feel like we as Christians do the very same thing. We've got to be willing and we've got to be obedient if we want to eat the good of the land and see God's best blessings in our life. So an unwilling spirit, number one, will limit what God can do in our lives. And secondly, secondly, I hope this one goes over, but secondly, an unconcerned attitude. Let that sink in a minute. An unconcerned attitude, an attitude of indifference will limit what God can do in our life. See, it's not that some people are unwilling, but they're just completely indifferent. What does that mean? You know, we use that word, indifference, and to be indifferent means that you just have little or no concern or just a lack of interest. When we talk about people becoming cold and indifferent in their spirits or indifferent to the Lord or the things of God, it means that there's just a lack of concern. You can see the indifference in the church when you see the difference in attendance on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Or Wednesday, because there's, there's, a, there's a lack of concern. There's a lack of concern. If people were concerned, they would, they would be more people in church. But, but there is an indifference. And Jesus, look with me tonight at, at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And you know, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus tells, gives, talks about the church age from Pentecost through the end of time. Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, there are seven churches that's mentioned, and seven is the number of completion. So these seven churches represent the seven church ages from the time of Pentecost, the inception of the church, which was Ephesus, all the way through to the, uh, to the end of days, the last the last age of the church, if you want to use that terminology, which that's where I believe we are now because that last church age is what? It's Laodicea. It's the lukewarm church, isn't it? I mean, Ephesus started out a fiery church. They had left their first love and Jesus called them back to it. But, but the, by the time he got to Laodicea, Laodicea was a lukewarm church. They were indifferent about the things of God. But notice... 
Notice what Jesus says to this church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Now we use this 20th verse a lot of times to minister to lost people and to sinners. And we say, well, you know, Jesus is standing at the, at the door of your heart, knocking on your heart's door, wanting to come in. But when you, when, you read, when you look at this in Revelation 3, Jesus was not, was not talking to the sinner. He was giving this message to the church. He was outside the church knocking on, can you, are you with me? He was knocking on the church door asking permission to come into the church. Now, now notice Revelation 3.20, it says, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now, here's Jesus, the Lord of glory, the creator of everything. And uh, I think that we would all agree. You know, Jesus even said uh, in, in another place there in Revelation 3, he said, I have the key of David. I shut, no man opens. I open and no man shuts. He has all authority and all power. I think we would agree that there's not a door Jesus can't knock down if he wants to get in. I think we can agree that there isn't a door that he can't open. He's got the key. He can get in any place he wants to. There's nothing too hard for him. There's not a door that can keep the Lord out. I think we would all agree with that. And, 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 but, yes, but yet then on the other hand, on the other hand, Jesus says to this church, I'm on the outside and you're on the inside and I would come in, but I'm needing you to open the door and let me in. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't come in. He could, but he said, if you're indifferent to me, if you don't, if you're lukewarm toward me, I will come in, but I must be invited to come in. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. I tell you what, there's not a time. I'm, I, I come here and pray on Sunday mornings for our church, for our services, and I'm always praying for this church, and I'm always telling Jesus, and I, don't, I know some people would say you don't have to do that, but I feel like I do, but I'm always telling Jesus, Lord, the door's open. We're not locking you out of here. We're not shutting you out of Abundant Life Family Church. The door is wide open. I welcome you, Jesus. I invite you in. I invite you in, Holy Spirit. I make you welcome here at Abundant Life Family Church. Amen. So, so here is the scenario. Jesus is wanting to get into the church, but he can't get into the church because they've got the door shut. That Jesus, you, do you see the, 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 the similarities here? The, um, the symbolism here, it's, it's the same today and the day and hour in which we're living today. Jesus is on the outside and trying to get in, but he's not welcome because there's a, an unconcerned attitude in people's lives. See, you can have, and I love that, that song we sang tonight, more of you, Jesus, more of your face, more of your glory in this place. You know, you can have, and you do have, as much of the Lord in your life as you want. If you don't have any more than what you do, it's because you don't want any more. And it's that indifference and, and that's every Christian falls into that place that we have as much of Jesus in our life as we want and desire. The more of Him, the more I seek Him, the more I find Him, the more I find Him, you know, the more I want Him. I mean, that it just, you know, it just, it just, 
uh, continues to flow like that. And that needs to be um, where all of us as Christians are. We don't want to limit what the Lord can do for us, but that indifference and that unconcern, well, I don't care, I'm close to God as I need to be. I, you know, I don't believe you have to go. You know, I hear people saying that. I don't believe you have to go to, to all these church services. This is the six, counting the devotionals I give Counting the devotionals that I give in our prayer meetings on Tuesday and Saturday, which are kindly sermonettes, I guess, many sermons, but counting the devotionals, this is the sixth time this week that I've spoke, that I've ministered the Word of God. Well, um, you know, some people say, I don't, I don't think that's necessary. You don't have to be in preaching in church. We got something going on here about every night. Amen. We got board meeting tomorrow night. We got um, ladies meeting Tuesday night, church Wednesday night, worship practice Thursday night. Are we all Friday. We got anything Friday? <laughs> Amen. But 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 listen. It's the indifference. We've got to come out of that 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 unconcerned attitude. That lukewarmness. God deliver us from a lukewarm, unconcerned spirit in your church today. Amen. We've got to have a desire for more of Jesus in our life. So the unconcerned attitude, what that church at Laodicea had is a detriment and will hinder. But the third thing that will limit God's working in our life, I know you're going to love this one, but the third thing is an unclean lifestyle. An unclean lifestyle. Sin in our life will keep God from, let me, let me put it this way, it will keep the blessing of God from us and it will hinder and limit God from answering our prayers and it will limit God from working in our behalf. Amen? An unclean lifestyle. Listen to Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. I probably didn't give them this back there in the sound booth. But Isaiah 59 says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But notice what he said. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 5.25. Your iniquities have turned these things, talking about the good things of God, the blessings of God that he had, he had mentioned to them. He said, your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good things from you. Do you see that? that? That shows me there that an unclean lifestyle or sin, known sin, unconfessed sin in an individual's life will withhold good things from them. Now, it wasn't that God failed to answer prayer because he had, had become weak or because he had lost any of his power. He said there in Isaiah that his hand wasn't shortened, his ear hadn't grown heavy, his hand still was as mighty and powerful as ever. He hasn't failed to answer prayer because he was losing his hearing. You know, he was saying, I hadn't, hadn't lost any of my hearing, although he is the ancient of days. You know, maybe, maybe they thought, well, God's kind of hard to hear. And, he, you know, he can't hear me like he used to. Need to get him some uh, bell tones, you know, he can't hear. And God was saying, no, there ain't nothing wrong with my hearing. I can hear just fine. There ain't nothing wrong with my power. My hand didn't shorten. I can still reach out. I can still heal. I can still deliver. I can still do all those things. I, you know, there's nothing nothing too hard, hard for me. No, my arm is still mighty. My hearing is still keen. Nothing too hard. But the problem, he said, is with you. 
Oh, man, we don't like to hear that. He said, the problem's with you. Because he said, you have limited God and sin, your sin is separated between you and God. Your, your iniquities have hid his face from you and you've limited God with an inconsistent lifestyle. An inconsistent lifestyle. People that are in and out and in and out and living for God and then they're out and then they're living for God and then they're not. We handcuff the one who wants to bless us with that unclean lifestyle. I think we can see also an example of that, of this point in Joshua chapter 7, with Israel being defeated at Ai. You remember that? Uh, God had, 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 uh, had promised Joshua victory, and Joshua had seen probably one of the greatest moves of God in history, crossing the Jordan, the destruction of Jericho, not, not a loss of one single one of God's people, not one of them lost their lives. But now they go to Ai and they said, oh, we don't need to take very many people with us over there. It's just a little place. We can defeat them easy. And they get over Ai and suffer defeat. I mean, they've crossed the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho have fallen down. I mean, God, man, they're on the move. They're, they're on a roll here. God is fulfilling His promise. And God had told Joshua, there ain't no enemies be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, I'm with you. Everything, I'm going to give you victory after victory. And boom, here they suffer defeat. And so Joshua gets on his face and he starts seeking God, which is a good thing. That's what he should have done because it ain't working like God said. Amen? I mean, it would have been easy for him to just say, oh, well, I guess God didn't want us to have any victory at Ai. You know, that's just the way the Lord is. But no, he said, God, God had promised us victory everywhere we go. And so he gets on his face and he begins to seek the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Joshua. He said, Joshua, the problem is there's sin in the camp. Amen. He said, Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They, they have taken some of the accursed thing and stolen and deceived and put it among their stuff. He said, therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be. Listen to what God says to Joshua. Man, this is, this is powerful. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. And you know the story. I mean, they called everybody together and found out there was a man in the, in the congregation by the name of Achan. And, and, and they had told them when they, when they went in and conquered Jericho, don't take any of the stuff. Don't, put, don't get, a, get any of the gold, silver, any of the spoil. Don't take it. But Achan saw a wedge of gold and a Babylonian garment. And he looked at that and he said, man, I got to have that. And uh, even though God had said don't, he took it, he hid it among his stuff. And here was Achan sitting there saying, ah, nobody knows anything about it. But God put the finger on it and God brought it, brought it out to light and they had to bring Achan and his family and, and, and they stoned them and, and got the sin out, put the sin out. Well, we don't, we don't stone people today, amen. Thank God for that. Glory to God. Isn't that good to be under grace? Amen. 
But, uh, but, but nevertheless, the, the, the principle is here. Whether it's in a church or whether it's in our own personal lives, we have to purge out the leaven. We talked about the leaven a couple of weeks ago. He said, get the leaven. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. And so Achan had to be dealt with. And sin in your life, sin in my life, sin within a church, open sin within in the body of Christ has to be dealt with. The problem we're, we're dealing with now in the church world is that nobody thinks anything is wrong. I mean, no, nobody, everything, you know, I mean, they, 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 look for, they look for scriptures and look in the Bible trying to find a loophole for, to do what they want to do. There ain't no loopholes, church. Come on, amen. We gotta get the junk out and live like the Bible says to live and purge out the old leaven and get rid of the wedge of gold and the Babylonian garment and come clean with God and be right with God and live right with God. Woo! I'm not looking for some excuse of, well, I, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, so I, can, I guess it's okay to do it. You got the Holy Ghost. Man. People looking for, they're looking, looking to say, well, I'm looking for a scripture where it says, thou shalt not cuss. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, they are there. But I'm going to tell you what, there wasn't anybody, there wasn't anybody in this church. Before I got saved, I had the worst mouth. I know Sister Reed has testified and said she was that way before she got saved. I can't believe sweet little Sister Reed was that way. I know y'all can't believe I was that way either, but I was. I mean, it was just a part of my makeup and my nature. I just, you know, the old, what's the old cliche? Cuss like a sailor. Well, anyway, when I got up from that altar that morning after getting born again, I didn't have to think about, okay, now, what can I say? What can I say? It, it never even crossed my mind. Do you know what? Do you know what? This is the miracle of the new birth that I talked about this morning. Do you know what? All of that filthy, nasty, bad, ungodly language was gone. Well, listen, if it was okay to talk that way, then I don't know why God took it away from me, but God took it out of my life and took it away from me. Hallelujah. Woo! The Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is edifying. Amen. I can't even stand to turn on a TV show or a movie or anything where there's all this profanity and vulgarity. It's not that I'm legalistic. It's not that I'm, that I'm holier than thou. But I'm going to tell you, that stuff, that junk, if you allow it in your house, I don't know why I'm preaching this way, but if you allow it, it will contaminate your spirit. Amen. I heard John Kilpatrick from Brownsville years ago preach. I got the, I got the VHS sermon on VHS, but I ain't got no way to listen to it because I don't have no VHS anymore player. But he preached on the leprosy in the house. One of the most awesome messages I ever heard. And taken from Leviticus 
chapter 13 and 14, where they would go in, and if there, was a, if there was leprosy that was in the walls of the house, and they had to scrape the walls and everything they had to do and move everybody out, and they had to get the leprosy out completely removed from the house. And he talked about the, the, the filth and the uncleanness that people allow in their houses and in their homes, how it will completely contaminate your whole family. Are, are, are you listening? I don't know why I'm saying these things, but I am telling you this, that an unclean life lifestyle will hinder the working of God in our lives. And we want God's blessing and we want God's best and we want God to be there. We want God to answer our prayers and we want God to meet our needs. But I'm telling you, God said your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Clean up and live right and I'll be there for you, he's saying, every time you need me. Amen. Don't limit him in your life from working in your life. Remove limitations. Woo! Hallelujah. Preach, Brother Rick. Hallelujah. Take those limits off God. Fourth and last, we tie the hands of the Lord. We chain the hands of the Lord. And this is probably the most devastating of all. And it's an unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart. Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. For everywhere he had been, he had been raising the dead and healing the sick and, and the lame were walking and the blind were seeing. And lepers were being cleansed. Mighty miracles were being performed and he goes to, back to his own hometown of Nazareth. And the Bible said in Matthew 13, 58, and he did not many mighty works there. And look at it right here. What tied his hands? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. I think that's probably the one that, that, uh, that gets us more than any of the rest of them. And it gets on our toes tonight. This is the Lord who can raise the dead that been in the grave four years. The Lord Jesus that can give sight to the blind and perform all these miracles. And yet at Nazareth, at Nazareth, he couldn't do anything because of their unbelief. He, I think it's Mark's gospel said that he laid his hands on a few sick folk. But there was no mighty miracles because they just didn't believe him. See, God wants to work miracles in your life, and he wants to answer prayer, and he wants to do things for you, and he wants to do things for me. But you know what he requires is faith. He requires us to believe. He requires faith. And so unbelief can tie the hands of the Lord. Faith is the key. And that's, that's where, you know, unbelief will shackle his hands, but faith and belief is the key that will snap that lock and free the hands of the Lord to work and operate in your life. I think we have a Bible example of this as well because not only there in Nazareth, I mean, that's one example. Jesus didn't do very many things there, couldn't do many mighty miracles because they wouldn't believe him. But I think we have a, a, an example in the Old Testament as well because it was unbelief that kept the children of Israel out of the land of promise. Was it the fact that, I mean, did God, let me ask you a question, did God want them to inherit the promised land? Was it theirs? Had he promised it to them? 
He, he brought them out of Egypt and brought them there. They were, he was ready for them to go in and possess the land. Is that right, wasn't he? Amen. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 18, uh, 18 and 19, it says that, that we see, and this is what the writer of Hebrews says, speaking about the children of Israel, said that we see that they could not enter that promised land because of unbelief. So the Bible gives us the reason why they couldn't enter the promised land. It was because of unbelief. And that story's found in Numbers chapter 13. The promised land was theirs. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And that promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey was symbolic of God's best for their life. It was symbolic of the blessings of God. I probably told you before in 1980, I went to California, Southern California to preach a month of revivals in Southern California. And, um, you know, I'd preached in Missouri and Arkansas and all around here. And this was in, like I said, 1980. Didn't make a whole lot of money preaching small churches. Got out in California and, uh, man, the offerings were three times, four times what they are, were back here. A preacher friend of mine called me out there in California. He said, how you like in California? I said, brother, it's the land of milk and money. <laughs> I had one guy, you know what a Pentecostal handshake is? It's when, when somebody walks up and gives you a handshake and you can feel, you can feel a wad of paper in their hand and you know it's, a, it's some kind of money and you just can't wait. You stick it in your pocket. You can't wait to get outside, you know, and kind of look and see what it is. And I had one of those Pentecostal handshakes in a church out there in California. And I, I got, got out of the church and looked, and it was a $50 bill. I'd never seen a $50 bill in my life. And so I was in the promised land. I told Vicki, I said, I think we need to move out here. <laughs> but you know what? I thank God I didn't. Amen. I thank God I ain't out there. <laughs> But it was the promised land for them. It was the land of, of blessing that God had, had promised for them. And he got them right up to the border and he sent the spies in to spy out the land. But they wouldn't, they, they spied it out. They, they, they came back with that evil report. And they said, you know, man, Joshua, it's a good place. It's everything you said it was. Man, it's flowing with milk and honey. They brought back a cluster of grapes, biggest, biggest softballs. I don't know. It might have, might have been big as your fist. That's a big grape. But it took two men with a pole to carry that one cluster of grapes. They even named the place Escal, which meant cluster, because they found this. And he said, this is how fruitful it is. Oh, it's a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place, and it's what God has, has, has for us. But the only problem is we can't take it. We can't have it. We can't have it. And Caleb and Joshua said, what, what do you mean? They were two of them that win. What do you mean we can't have it? Well, there's giants there. See, listen, they allowed their focus to get off of what God had promised them, and they began to look at the obstacle that stood in their way from getting what God had promised them. Because everything that God promises you is not just going to fall in your lap like a cherry off a ripe cherry off a tree. There's going to be obstacles and opposition, and Satan will do everything he can to stop you and prevent you from receiving God's best in your life. 
It's not necessarily, you know, that's where the warfare, that's where the fight of faith comes in. That's where the battle's at. It's not necessarily that God doesn't want you to have these things, that he's, but he's, because he's promised them for you. But Satan and, and, and there's obstacles and giants, and they got their eyes on the giants, and they said, there's giants over there. The sons of Anak are there. They're so big. We, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And we were grasshoppers in our own eyes. They got the grasshopper syndrome. Amen. They saw themselves as little grasshoppers hopping around and these big giants and they said, we can't overcome them. But Joshua and Caleb rose up and said, no, 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 don't talk like that. God has given us that land. God has promised us that land. God, God, God is with us and if God's with us, we can go in and we can take the land. But, but, but they were outnumbered. There was 12 spies. They were outnumbered, uh, 10 to 2. Majority rules. Majority's not always right. Come on. But, you know, they were outnumbered in the meeting. And so uh, the 10 spies, full of doubt, full of unbelief, convinced all of the, uh, the rest of the congregation that they couldn't have it, they all begin to wail and they all begin to cry and they believe the negative report and they begin to murmur against God and murmur against Moses and said, why'd you bring us out here? We're gonna die in the wilderness. Let's get, let's get a group together and go back to Egypt. My Lord, you know what? That sounds like a bunch of us sometimes. Oh, I don't know why God let this happen to me. I don't know why God, I had it better when I was in Egypt. I had it better before I got Oh, come on. Get, get, get straightened out. Get a hold of ourselves. Realize that God has got a promised land of milk and honey and blessing for us. Don't let the unbelief and the doubt rob us from what God has. But they tied his hands. And God said, God spoke to them. Glory of God, the glory of God came down. God wanted to kill them all. He did. He said, Moses, I'm killing them all. I'm going to raise, up, a, a, raise a, a, up another group after uh, from you. And he said, no, don't do that, Lord. He interceded and God changed his mind. But God said this, as you've spoken in my ears, what you've said in unbelief, can't get in, can't go in. He said, you're going to get that. You ain't going in. Can't have it. Every one of you from 20 years old and up, your carcass will die in this wilderness. They never saw the promised land. They wandered in a wilderness for 40 years, and every one of them, 20 years old and up, died in that wilderness. Except two, are you listening to me? Except two, Joshua and Caleb, because they had another spirit, because they had the spirit of faith, because they, they, you know, they were postponed from going in. But praise God, because of their faith, they took the limits off of God, and they were able 40 years later, some 38 years later, to march in and lead the children of Israel. And, and old Caleb, at 85 years old, goes to Joshua, and he says, you know what? I saw that mountain up there God promised me 40 years ago. I, there's at the Anakims there. There's giants up there. But I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. And old Caleb, full of faith and full of the power of God, marched up the top of that mountain and he faced those giants and defeated them. Let me tell you something, saints of God, here at Abundant Life Family. 
family church. If you'll take the limits off of God, if you'll believe in him, if you will trust in him, he will be for you. He will be with you. There is not a giant that can stand in your way. You serve the God that is the giant killer. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a praise tonight. Oh, Woo, hallelujah, amen. amen. Oh, stand up with me tonight. Worship team, you can come on back. Praise God, amen. We can limit the limitless God. We can tie his hands, and I'm, I'm sure we many times we do that. By our unwillingness, by our unconcern, by our uncleanness, and by our unbelief. But if we do that, especially after hearing this message, we're foolish if we do that. Get these four things out of our lives. Be obedient to the Lord. Live for Jesus. Seek his face. Put him first. Get rid of doubt and unbelief. Amen? And untie the hands of God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ and let him work in your life. Amen? How many is going to do that tonight? Praise God. Woo.